Our scripture reading today is from Acts chapter 8, verses 4 to 24. Now those who were scattered went from place to place proclaiming the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah to them. The crowds with one accord listened eagerly to what was said by Philip, hearing and seeing the signs that he did. For unclean spirits, crying with loud shrieks, came out of many who were possessed, and many others who were paralyzed were cured. So there was great joy in that city. Now a certain man named Simon had previously practiced magic in the city and amazed the people of Samaria, saying that he was someone great. All of them, from the least to the greatest, listened to him eagerly because for a long time he had amazed them with his magic. But when they believed Philip, who was proclaiming the good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Even Simon himself believed. And after being baptized, he stayed constantly with Philip and was amazed when he saw the signs and great miracles that took place. Now, when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them. The two went down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For as yet, the Spirit had not come upon any of them. They had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John laid their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. Now when Simon saw that the Spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money, saying, Give me also this power, so that anyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, May your silver perish with you, because you thought you could obtain God's gift with money. You have no part or share in this, for your heart is not right before God. Repent, therefore, of this wickedness of yours, and pray to the Lord that, if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and the chains of wickedness. Simon answered, Pray for me to the Lord that nothing of what you have said may happen to me. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Holy God, be with us this day as we hear your word. Help us to feel the power of its text the message that we are to receive today for ourselves and help us to hear through all of the things that weigh us down, the things that prevent us from listening to you. Amen. I think you can tell a lot about a person by their hands. Are their hands fresh and young? Or are they a bit more weathered from decades of life? In the sun, on the job, doing dishes with too hot water. 
Do they wear a wedding ring or a faded tan line where a ring once rested? What kind of watch do they wear? An old-fashioned classic, something sleek and modern, a sporty waterproof tracker? Do they prefer glitter nail polish or a classic French manicure? Or are they more prone to hangnails? Are their fingers long and nimble like the hands of a concert pianist? Or are they stockier fingers with a strong grip, familiar with holding tools? Do their hands have scars? each one with a story, a cut, a burn, a lesson learned. Are they soft and smooth like the hands of a child? Or do they carry calluses on the tips of their fingers, the underside of their knuckles, or the heels of their hands? Do they hold things tightly because they are rushed, or hold things tenderly because they lack the strength? Do they drive with white knuckles at 10 and two, or a wrist draped over the wheel? Have you felt loved, judged, or respected by the grasp of a handshake? A firm hello, a double clasp, an awkward fish, a bone-crushing grip, a gentle pat or kiss. Have you turned with concern after a prayer when their hold on your clasped hands alerted you to their deep worries? None of these are things that I have noticed as much lately. When we speak of hands, we speak of sanitizer and the spread of germs. And though we often capture familiarity with the phrase, I know it like the back of my hand, there is much that we do not notice about our own hands. In the last few years, I have noticed more about my own hands than ever before, perhaps because I have washed them so often. I've realized how much more joyful I find working on a computer after painting my nails a fun color, especially during my seminary finals. I've noticed that for the first time in my life, my nails have become more brittle, likely from too many months of hand washing and too much stress from living in a pandemic. I felt soreness in each of my knuckles and wondered if I've inherited arthritis from my mother's side. And I've been startled to discover that there are not only germs, but also many tiny cuts on my hands that I fail to notice until after I've put on hand sanitizer. And more than anything, I've noticed these past few years how much time my hands spend clenched. I wonder if the same is true for Simon the magician. 
This is the first and the only time that we will encounter this particular character, and it seems like an odd Sunday to do this. In the liturgical world, it is Baptism of the Lord Sunday, when we normally read the story of Jesus' baptism by John the Baptist, the story that marks the start of his adult ministry. This gospel story is listed every year on this Sunday in the Revised Common Lectionary, which provides recommended scripture for every week in a three-year cycle that walks us through each of the gospels and other notable passages. And every week, we have a passage from the gospel, the Old Testament, the Psalms, and from Paul. So why this text today? I think it's actually a bonus text in the lectionary. There are many flashier stories that Simon himself would probably expect to be listed this week. This story is actually followed immediately by Philip baptizing the Ethiopian eunuch, a story that is told much more often as a remarkable reminder that anyone can be welcomed into the body of Christ. I often love to choose these different out-of-the-box texts, both to challenge myself and to ask myself why they were chosen for the lectionary, rather than more well-known stories, because there is always a great reason. In this case, in the midst of a story about Simon, it is easy to miss the significance of mass baptisms in Samaria. The book of Acts has a very simple mission statement that we can trace throughout it. In verse 1-8, before ascending into heaven, Jesus promises his disciples that the Spirit will be with you soon. And then he gives them a charge of sorts. He says, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. At the beginning of our passage, it mentions those who were scattered are the ones doing this ministry in Samaria, Philip in particular. This Philip is not an apostle, though there is one of the same name. Instead, he is known as Philip the Evangelist or Philip the Deacon, and he is one of seven deacons appointed in chapter 6 of Acts to care for Gentile widows because they were not receiving the same care in the community as early Jewish Christian widows. So in short, Philip is one of the scattered because he is a Gentile disciple. While the Jewish Christian apostles are still in Jerusalem and are not yet persecuted, though they will be. Theologian Willie James Jennings puts forth two reasons that this is the case. First, it's possible that the apostles were accepted in Jerusalem still because they were Jewish, and they chose to stay there as a continued effort to witness to Jerusalem and Judea. But he also asks, how is it that the faith of some disciples is rightly seen as a threat to the social order, while the faith of others may be seen as too inconsequential to merit attention or so closely aligned with the old order that it is indistinguishable from it. 
what matters for our text is that the disciples are yet faithful in the midst of the scattering. The scattered preach the word. And for the first time, they are preaching it in Samaria. You probably remember the story of the good Samaritan, a man who was other, different, not quite seen as a Jewish neighbor. Samaria was a part of Israel, but it functioned as kind of a borderland where people practiced a similar but different Jewish faith, and many were considered by Judeans to be Gentiles, or at least other, often less than. The second piece of this text that is significant on this baptism of the Lord Sunday is the arrival of the Holy Spirit. At the baptism of Christ, Luke tells us that the Spirit descended like a dove, and a voice from heaven proclaimed, You are my Son, the Beloved. With you I am well pleased. In our story, the Spirit does not descend on a baptism, even though many people are being baptized in the name of Jesus, including Simon the Magician. But the Spirit does not arrive until the apostles Peter and John come from Jerusalem, pray for the people, and lay their hands on them, which Simon witnesses. So why does the Spirit not arrive when Philip baptizes the people? Some interpret it as a sign that this Gentile disciple is not called to the same special ministry as the Jewish apostles. Others might connect it to the apostles' proximity to Jesus. But earlier in Acts at Pentecost, we heard that all who were present were filled with the Holy Spirit, not just the apostles. And in the baptism story that follows this one, the Spirit does arrive when when Philip baptizes the man from Ethiopia. I love what Willie James Jennings proposes. He says, The delay of the Spirit was not for a defect of faith or of life for the Samaritans. Could it be that God waited for Peter and John so that they could watch this intimate event? Here and now, these disciples, especially Peter, will see a love that extends into the world. The disciples, the apostles, who were the 12 disciples, are not perfect. They are human. They are called to witness to the ends of the earth, but they too need to witness God's blessing of the Gentiles in order to believe God's love for all people especially people we have been taught not to desire. This blessing extends to the earliest pages of the Old Testament. It is not new. Rahab, a Gentile, is found in the genealogy of Jesus. And Abraham himself was chosen from the world to be the father of Jewish faith and ancestry. So we've seen Philip and the other Gentile disciples spread the gospel to Samaria and baptize many. And we've seen the apostles join the party and bring the Spirit, laying their hands on the people in blessing, witnessing God's love for those they consider other, though they will continue to debate how to include Gentile believers. 
But what about Simon the magician? Simon is an interloper in Samaria who capitalizes on the needs of the people and wins their respect with charm and skill. Though he somewhat promotes himself as great, he is also clearly respected and powerful in this community. He is also likely good at magic, which first century Roman author Pliny described as a combination of medicine, religion, and astrology. So he would heal, he would have different practices, and he would also be able to maybe make predictions. But as we can see by the number of people that Philip is healing when he arrives in Samaria, Simon was not exactly helpful or charitable in using his gifts. Throughout our story, Simon is obsessed with power, which makes it even more surprising that he is pretty quick to forfeit some of his power and prestige when he encounters God. First through Philip, and then through the apostles who grant the Spirit. Despite his high view of himself, Simon quickly realizes that the power of the gospel is stronger than his own power. He believes Philip's testimony and he is baptized. And it's not clear in the text whether he receives the Holy Spirit or simply witnesses its arrival for others. But the implication is that he does not feel it has been granted to him. So he offers money to the apostles, saying, Give me also this power, so that anyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. Here, New Testament scholar Beverly Gaventa reminds us that even if the apostles can lay hands on people and bestow the Spirit, it does not mean that the Spirit is at their disposal. It is God who ultimately grants the Spirit. Many conclude that, like Peter said, Simon is not yet ready as a believer. Although some of his intentions seem good, he wants to share God with others, but he is still fixated on his own power and influence in doing so. Jennings puts it beautifully, saying, the gospel draws such people who have not yet entered fully the space of redemption. The Simon is not a typical person full of pride. He is not meant to be an example of wrongdoing necessarily. He is just an ordinary power broker in our world who has learned to live with a substitute for God. He is not a villain or someone that we need to condemn. But like most people in the stories of scripture, he is a flawed human in whom we can often see ourselves. I imagine Simon's hands are clenched because he is always striving. He seeks the praise or acceptance of others. He wants power, perhaps so that he will know his place in the world. He has desired power in the absence of God and is now reconciling him, his place in the world as a follower of God instead. Now, I am not a magician, a wealthy person, or a person who typically seeks the praise of a crowd, but I am a person who goes through life with my hands clenched. 
Sometimes I do desire power when people in power make decisions that do not seem to benefit others or those who need it most. Sometimes I desire a little more control over what's happening in the world or even in my own life. Sometimes I am fearful or anxious about things that are little or things that feel too big. Sometimes I am angry, frustrated with a person in my life, with a broken relationship, or even at the number of children that are currently in the hospital. Perhaps your hands are clenched for similar reasons, or perhaps you have your own. But much these days is out of our hands, as they say. The problems in our world feel much bigger than any one of us can begin to grasp. So it's no wonder that we clamor for control, deceive one another in desperation, and even destroy buildings and endanger others to demand of our leaders, give me also this power. When so much is out of our hands, it also feels out of God's hands. And so it is our every tendency to want control, to want to protect ourselves, to clench our fists in anticipation of hurt or loss because it seems easier to prepare. But almost immediately, Simon gives up his power and status again. He accepts Peter's correction, and he asks the apostles for help through prayer. He's getting it a little bit. Jennings calls this no small step and says his response should give us hope that the new order can indeed break open the old order and cause those addicted to power to ask for help. Jesus said to his disciples, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses. As people of privilege and as followers of Christ, there is much we can do with our hands and other gifts to share God's love with the world. So I invite you to join me in a symbolic gesture that I have been practicing every time I notice my fists are clenched. It may feel a bit more evangelical than we are used to here, but it can also be a meaningful practice. So I invite you to close your hands into fists in front of you. Imagine what feelings you might be associating with that in this moment and now open them. Allow yourself to feel the power of the Spirit, of God living in us and guiding us each day. Remind yourself that God is in control, and thank God we do not need to be. I invite you to assume this position whenever you need to, and whenever you are ready, as often as you can, turn your hands outward to serve others and bless them with the love of God. Open your hands and be Christ's witnesses to the ends of the earth. Amen.